Hi everyone and welcome to another episode, yet another episode of the FFS Show, a podcast about fact-checking and misinformation by the ferret. I am here with my co-host, Sam Gonzalez. How are you doing, Sam? Hello, Ali. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am very good. I thought I'd give you a bit of a sort of exciting intro. Yeah, that was like a pause for effect. I, I like it. That was very good. Yeah, that's well, that's written in the script. Dramatic pause. What the listeners don't know is that actually every word we say here is heavily scripted. Over months, we kind of craft yeah. a very fine script of, of what we actually say in this podcast. It's really, the podcast is a, is a powerful word of fiction, really. It is. Powerful work of fiction? I don't think so. Well, but our relationship is fiction, our interaction, because we we hate each other in real life, right? So that's the fictional part. Oh, right, yeah, 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 the natural banter. Well, you insist in the contract that you need a pause before your name is spoken for gravitas reasons. Hey, listen, you cut this out of the last podcast, but I'm going to say here, last time you, I said on the podcast that I am the Meryl Streep of the podcast, yeah. and you took that out. <laughs> so I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Did that not make it in last time? I'm sorry. No, you didn't. Well. And I'm gonna And I'm going to repeat it until it stays <laughs> in, that I am the Meryl Streep of this podcast. This week, we have uh, some exciting stuff for you. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the misinformation that's surrounding the plans to privatize Channel 4. And we also have a fantastic interview with um, Liv McMahon, who is a excellent journalist, right, who writes about um, big tech and uh, censorship and cryptocurrencies, things like that, all the sort of um, ways in which um, tech solutions of big tech kind of interact with people. So we had a really good chat talking about... Um, her work and how that interacts with misinformation and Elon Musk buying over Twitter. It's been very much a this week in news type interview we've done. So why do we go to the fact check? Well, you did a fact check last week. Um, let's talk about that. Let's do it. Okay, so tell me what this is all about. What What is this fact check about? So the fact check is broadly about um, the news that Channel 4 is set to be privatized and uh, some of the misinformation that surrounded that. Um, primarily, the claim that was made by a number of commentators and um, even some politicians that uh, Channel 4 was funded by taxpayers. So this is actually something I don't know. Um, how is Channel 4 actually funded? So yeah, Channel Four. It, it's um, I think some of the confusion comes down to the fact that Channel Four is a publicly owned broadcaster. So I mean, it was set up in 1982 under uh, the Thatcher government. Um, broadly speaking, in order to kind of create an alternative, uh, independent public service broadcaster to the BBC. Um, so it needs things like you. Know, it, it has a remit that all the public service broadcasters do, which they have to kind of fulfil these um, criteria, which are. To you know, which which inclu- includes, for example, providing a, a certain amount of educational uh, programming in the public good. It's also regulated by Ofcom, um, and so you know, Ofcom, for example, appoints the board that controls Channel Four, and is and it's sort of overarchingly controlled by the Culture Secretary and the Department for Culture, Media, and Sport, the DCMS. But while it's publicly owned uh, since its inception, it's actually funded commercially. So unlike the BBC, which which is funded through 
which is funded primarily through the license fee there. It does have a commercial arm, the BUC, which it also makes money from. But most of its money comes from the license fee, which is obviously paid for by uh, UK residents who want to watch live TV. Um, and is, for those people, mandatory. Um, Channel 4 is not funded through the license fee. It's funded by selling, mostly it's selling advertising on TV or digitally. So I guess the big question is, will it be privatized? Is Channel 4 going to be privatized? Well, I mean, it, it's looking that way. That's certainly what the UK government currently wants to happen. The idea of privatizing Channel 4 has come up quite a few times over the years. The most recently, it was there was a consultation that the UK government put together, um, on a, which was a kind of consultation on a potential sell-off, which was done, done in July last year. And their hypothesis basically was the channel would be better served if it didn't have, quote, the constraints that come in private with public ownership. So they're saying that they think that Channel 4 is kind of being held back from competing against other streaming things like, you know, Netflix or Amazon or Disney Plus or whatever by the constraints which the public service remit gives it. Um, this is a, a view that's challenged by a lot of people in the media and people at Channel 4 who want it to remain a publicly owned company. But yeah, that's it's currently looking like that's the way the government wants to move forward. So if Channel 4 does get privatized, does it mean, will it still be a public service? Does that make sense? So if Channel 4 is privatized and remains in its position on uh, on the schedules, and it remains the kind of Channel 4 of uh, UK TV, it still will remain a public service broadcaster. It just won't be publicly owned. So for example, the BBC is publicly owned. And is publicly funded, as we know, as we've explained, and is one and is a public service broadcaster. But Channel Three, where ITV is privately owned, Channel Five, they're owned by Viacom now. They're uh, privately owned as well, but they're they're all they all have private uh, public service designation under Ofcom rules, which again just means that they all have to they're required to do a certain level of programming that's uh, for the public good, and it also means that they are sort of regulated against a, a remit which is um, measured by Ofcom. So um, the kind of concern by a lot of people, a lot of commentators okay, over the privatization has been that the public service remit will be watered down and that the Channel 4 will do, you know, the stuff that Channel 4 does now, which it's required to do, which isn't profit driven, because it's obviously a not-for-profit corporation at the moment, it won't do so much of if it's in the private sector. So in the end of the piece, what's the verdict you chose uh, for this claim? So our verdict on the claim that Channel 4 was funded by a taxpayer is false. Uh, it's not funded in any way by the taxpayer. It's publicly owned, yes, but it generates commercial funding through advertising mostly. There is a small technicality, as there always is with the, these things, which I'm happy to bring through, is that technically, if Channel 4 required borrowing and you could finance and back it up, that borrowing would technically sit as UK public sector debt, it's considered to be a self-financing public corporation. If it did require subsidies or it did require borrowing, that would technically sit as UK public sector borrowing. However, that's never, we can't find any evidence of that ever happening. And the company is currently reporting pre-tax surpluses in its accounts. So it's not that Channel 4 is requiring loads of finance from UK government and it raises its revenue elsewhere. Now it's time for our interview with uh, journalist Liv McMahon. She's a fantastic journalist who writes on tech and the intersections between tech, cryptocurrency, 
um, the social media platforms and how these things are regulated and how these things are affecting the way we, our discourse. Yeah, this is a brilliant interview. Um, Liv is great and it's actually a great follow on Twitter as well. So I'd encourage the listeners to go and follow her. Um, and yeah, please enjoy your conversation. And Ali, I'll see you on the other side of the chat. Especially like in cryptocurrency, it's awash with big claims about what cryptocurrencies can do to kind of like liberate you know, people from traditional finance, how secure it is. And yeah. even within like recently, I've also been looking at, I think, you know, how sort of social media is changing and how the landscape is transforming against the backdrop of events in Ukraine. And of course, what we've seen is like how there is just a, I think we've entered kind of a new age of misinformation in many ways because of the overwhelming amount of information that is just purely online now. And you've really got right. platforms like TikTok and Telegram rising up to kind of take the place of maybe where, you know, Twitter and Facebook used to dominate conversations about social media and misinformation. So I think at the moment it just seems like wherever whichever kind of corner of the internet I end up in and I end up kind of looking into um, the sheer amount of kind of misinformation there is always quite kind of baffling and it makes it quite hard to actually, you know, try and investigate and try and cover because you're constantly having to try and weigh up, you know, what is the questions you need to answer for readers, but also what, reliable information is actually out there and it's just becoming i think more and more difficult i think it's interesting we talked with reference to the kind of crypto space and also like the nft space and things like that what we, we talk a lot of in on this podcast and uh we're talking about misinformation we talk a lot about grifters you know people who are, who are pushing up misinformation for financial gain um or for you know publicity or whatever as well as the kind of um propaganda side of things which is more based on a political agenda but within the kind of crypto space, there's a lot of people and a lot of claims that are pushed about crypto and it's and usually about the sort of dividends you can receive from uh, getting investing in crypto that are being pushed by grifters incredibly, like mis in incredibly misleading ways. Cryptos have been massively mainstreamed over the last few years. Yeah. And you know, you, you'll hear uh, cryptocurrencies being advertised by footballers and things like that. What's the risk to somebody who doesn't know about how the space works what are the risks of to them of being like scammed and being fed misinformation about cryptos and what they can you know expect to achieve through it at the moment there's a lot of work being done by um kind of agencies like um the financial conduct authority um to try and clear up and create more sort of stable reliable information about kind of entering or investing in cryptocurrencies um the main thing i'd say is that the biggest risk is putting a lot of money into something with the expectation that you will you're putting it into a secure kind of place into a secure exchange and that you'll definitely receive some kind of dividend or something back because as we've seen with like it depends obviously on what kind of cryptocurrency you invest in so it could be you know a major one like bitcoin which is obviously very difficult now because of the sheer expense of it meme cryptocurrencies have suddenly become hugely popular um because you know they've been picked up by figures like elon musk and big kind of crypto kind of tech gurus who have you know promoted them as this kind of joke but over time they've become 
more serious and have been kind of weighed up as a serious investment and people have ended up losing you know hundreds of thousands of pounds um because they're investing in coins with an expectation you see them begging kind of elon musk on twitter to be like please say something about dogecoin because it just makes the price spike and the biggest risk i'd say with cryptocurrencies at the moment is there's been an increase of rug pulls which is where developers or kind of organizers behind it will just suddenly you know remove um the kind of back layer of this software to allow people to actually engage with it so and then all of your money is gone this has happened with kind of quite notorious examples there was a squid game cryptocurrency um that took off kind of last year and that was you know quite a famous sort of rug pull where you know people had started pouring money in and all of a sudden it was just completely gone um but there are still these massive risks of investment that are becoming i think harder to keep track of because of the sheer amount of sort of meme coins and cryptocurrencies popping up constantly it feels like there's a with cryptocurrencies and with even the kind of development of nfts the it's become so popular with the wider public but that that increase of popularity hasn't matched the increase of understanding of of the complexities of of those things and and what they actually mean so a lot of people are actually getting into really bad situations where like you said they they put a lot of money and they feel like it's a it's a sure thing or it's a kind of sure investment when it actually isn't and just trolling through tiktok i don't know if you if you spend much time over on tiktok but there's you know a lot of that stuff there of like do you want to make some passive income or do you want to make some easy money and it's all of this stuff yeah, it's yeah. our side hustle stuff isn't it yeah totally the hustle culture of, of of that is 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 massive yeah just been a massive rise i think of like influencers pivoting to kind of in the same way they've pivoted to you know doing kind of explainers about what's going on in ukraine they've also pivoted to kind of <laughs> be doing adverts or explainers on cryptocurrency and so you've seen like a massive kind of rise of i think gen z kind of users and investors in cryptocurrencies because it is an alternative form of finance and i still try to be kind of quite i think open-minded when i come to sort of covering it i want to talk to people about you know why um it's so appealing and you can understand given you know the general cost of living and how everything is getting more and more expensive um right it would be yeah. an obvious kind of point but at the same time there's a, this illusion that everyone can win with cryptocurrency when the reality is that you know with something like bitcoin the majority of people benefiting are kind of whales so a number of smaller kind of billionaires who own the majority of um bitcoin now you've you've named him you've spoken the name of elon musk on the podcast um so we i'm afraid we must turn to him now as it is law Um, let's let's talk about uh the recent news about him buying uh shares on twitter i think there's a there's a big debate going on in terms of free speech and the platforms that we use to connect and then the rules and the regulations and who gets banned and who doesn't get banned. Um, what do you make out of out of the last week of Elon Musk news? The most interesting thing to me about the Elon Musk 
kind of becoming a board member and having these shares on Twitter is that it's reminded a lot. It's a reminder that Twitter is a private company um, right. in a way that I think a lot of people have started to consider Twitter as being, you know, the Internet, where the natural fact it's still very much like Facebook. It's still like a private company. It still gets to decide to yeah. some extent what free speech is, how it kind of deals with misinformation. And yeah, I think with Elon Musk kind of coming into the fold, it's, yeah, it's just quite a big reminder that, you know, this is not, you know, as much as it is a space for debate, it's a space for kind of the media, it's a space for getting stories out. It's also just a completely private platform and it gets to regulate what is said, how it's said, how it's formatted in whatever way it chooses. Um, whether that will remain in the face of kind of oncoming regulation and things like that is another kind of side sort of bit that's going to have to navigate. But yeah, it's, I think this illusion of Twitter being this kind of like, you know, haven of public space and debate is something that has been in part shattered by Elon Musk kind of coming into the fold as he has. Well, one of the interesting things, that was, a, that was a great conversation, but one of the interesting things is that you, me, and Liv actually met a long time ago, like four years ago or so, before I worked for the Ferret. Uh, I lived in Dundee, and I booked some training on uh, misinformation and fact-checking from you and the Ferret. And you came over to Dundee yeah. to deliver that training, and Liv was in Edinburgh and came over to Dundee to attend that. So... Really interesting right. random connection between three people. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Yeah. The, the sort of tendrils of the ferret go far and wide. Um, so if you're a listener of the podcast and you, and you um, are interested in some training around fact-checking and misinformation or anything like that, uh, then, you know, get in touch. Maybe maybe in four years' time, you'll also be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's the famous... The direct funnel to our podcast. Training to podcast pipeline in the ferret. Remember, uh, you can follow us on all of the social media platforms by going to social dot the ferret uh, dot uh, Scott. Yes, <laughs> folks. There you go. That is how you pro. That's how you promo the human spirit when it has the will. That was incredible. Yeah, just one year later, I managed to do it. And remember, you can uh, email us factcheck at theferret.scot with any of your queries or suggestions as well. Or if you want to uh, fill in a form online to give us a check to fact check, then you can go to uh, check my facts. Yeah. Dot paperform. Uh, dot cool yeah oh my god incredible robocop joined the podcast I'm up to my game i'm i'm frankly embarrassed for myself yeah all right that's it from us and we'll see you next week bye bye